And uh, after that great meal, you're having to sit there and hope that I am lively enough that you can stay awake. And I'll try to do my part to aid you in that. Again, I want to thank the elders for the invitation to be here for such a special occasion uh, to talk about and contemplate for a few minutes together today how to fortify our families. And that's to strengthen our families and protect our families. And that's what it's, what it's all about. We get a short, brief time here on this earth and we need to help each other do all we can while we can uh, to be right with the Lord and prepare ourselves to go and live with Him. You have good preachers and teachers here in this congregation, good shepherds to watch after you. So I'm fully conscious that you have in your minds as we rehearse some of the passages we mentioned this morning in Bible class and worship, you could think of many other passages that underscore and bolster those points. It's my intention to cover basic principles that you and I can remember, to take home with us and then use that understanding we have in the full scriptures and make application in our daily lives. I hope if you leave here today that you'll remember that we have a responsibility to be whole, unique, complete individuals in the Lord's service. That He expects us to be everything He intended for us to be and that we were all created in His likeness and His image. We ought to strive to live up to that image that He has prescribed for us. And with that in mind, that we would help each other if we choose to marry. And as I emphasize, that ought not be our focus in life is to go about looking for somebody to marry. We ought to be married to the Lord. We ought to be busy serving Him and out gleaning in the fields and we might meet someone else who is busy gleaning in the fields of the Lord. And that's someone that we know, first of all, that loves the Lord and will serve Him and can work with us and alongside of us to help us on our journey to heaven. If we think about it from that standpoint, we read through the book of Ruth and we make sure that we really do hold court. It's courtship. That we do all the field investigation, that we call in all the witnesses, that we make sure that we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and we pay attention to that evidence. If you are interacting as young people and you're, it was mentioned this morning that you have work activities and opportunities to serve the Lord, if you are working with other young people and they're not enthused about serving the Lord and they try to get out of that kind of work, then you ought to pay real close attention to that and that means they're not really whole and unique in their relationship with the Lord and they wouldn't help you do that. So you might encourage and help them to become that, but you ought not ignore the evidence. If those that you might be interested in this life are not respectful to their parents. They're not honest in their behavior, then they won't be honest in that relationship either. So you really need to hold court. You really do need to pay attention. And you really need to make sure that you are who God wants you to be. If that's the case, then we choose to marry and we give life to a relationship. We ought to own it. We want to make sure we do everything to protect it and we care for it when it cries. We feed it when it's hungry. And we see after it and make sure that it has all that it needs. I want to share with you a brief story before we go into the emphasis of this afternoon on 
making sure that we understand what we're responsible for. If you're going to fortify the family, we need to recognize that there are responsibilities we have that become those pillars of a godly home, that make sure that it's fortified, that it's strengthened, that it's protected. But connect this morning's lessons with this afternoon. You see, when we get married, we are generally speaking, we're young and healthy and we're infatuated with each other and we make really serious vows. And part of that, those vows is that we will be faithful to each other and that we will be faithful and have that fidelity in sickness and in health. For richer or for poorer, And we say something like this, for better or for worse. When you're young, you don't think about for worse. You're both healthy and you're strong and you're attractive. You think you have your whole life ahead of you. You make those vows, I think, sincerely, but you have no comprehension of what the future might hold. When Denise and I preached in Tennessee and at the Cordova congregation, there was a couple in the congregation that uh, were up in years and they were kind of mentors to us. Sister Olive Hendren and her husband Jack. And Jack was at that time in failing health and we'd visit in their home, they had these pictures. Jack was in the Navy during World War II. And as soon as they got married, he was shipped off and was on that ship during war for a long period of time. They'd write these beautiful love letters to each other. She'd read some of those to us, or did read some of those to us, but to watch her care for Brother Jack as his health began to fail. You see those portraits hanging on the wall? He was a strong military young man. You could understand why she would be physically attracted to him, and when she told about that courtship process and how committed they were to each other even, even during times of war, you could understand why they had those feelings toward each other. But when you looked at Brother Jack now, and now he has dementia. And now he had all kinds of complicated health issues. Even got to the point where Sister Olive wasn't sure that he understood her anymore. That he comprehended what she was saying, and she'd put him in a wheelchair and roll him in at the kitchen table, and she would pay the bills. And she'd fuss about the light bill and do everything she would normally do and describe all those things that always took place when he was vibrant and alive. Things that aggravated him, she still pointed those things out to him. And just in case, he could hear. You see, she loved Brother Jack. Even though he's no longer physically strong and healthy, she made vows to him. When he got toward the very end of life, he had some further complications. He was placed in the hospital with a high fever. I went to the hospital to visit Brother Jack and Sister Olive was there. She'd stay there all day long and she'd feed him his meals and talk to him. She'd go home at night just for a few hours and get some rest and she'd come back and start the process all over again. But I was there one day and she was feeding Brother Jack and Because of his physical conditions, he couldn't control all his muscles, facial muscles. So as she would feed him, he'd drool and she'd wipe it away and just talk to him lovingly and kindly. And the nurse came in and she said, 
Ms. Olive, let me do that. You've been here all day. Just go home and get some rest. Let me do that. And Miss Olive kept talking to Brother Jack and ignored her. Just kept feeding him. And the nurse got her by the shoulders and said, Miss Olive, go home and get some rest. I won't ever forget this. As long as I live. She paused looked firmly in the eyes of the nurse. She said, young lady, I made a vow 55 years ago, and I intend to keep it. I was asked a number of years later to write an article for one of the Brotherhood papers, and my assignment was, when for better or worse, becomes worse. I called Sister Olive. By this time, Brother Jack had passed away. I called Sister Olive and I said, may I share this experience with them? Young couples need to know when they make those vows, there may come times when it is for worse. And you mean those things. See, God expected us to care for each other and sometimes it may not be easy to do so. He was no longer able to take care of himself and she was focused on caring for him. And I got home, I told my wife, I said, if I could take every young couple that I was doing premarital counseling with and I could let them see what those vows really meant. They'd be able to enjoy their life together and commit to each other, enjoy their good health and really mean those vows. You see, that's important. If we're going to fortify the family, we need to understand how important those roles are. And I want to share with you just briefly this afternoon four pillars of a godly home that allow us to be conscious of what we're responsible for. I want to take a passage from the patriarchal age and a passage from the Mosaic age and one from the New Testament age and look at it from the principles of things that are necessary to fortify our families. First of all, in Genesis chapter 6, we see that we have to make sure that the pillar of lordship is in place. Even when it's not easy to do so, in a context in Genesis chapter 6, when every man's thought was on evil continually... And mankind was so wicked that it even repented God that He'd made man. But in the midst of all that rebellion and all that sin, it's recorded for us in verse 8 and 9 that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And Noah walked with God. You see, the first pillar that has to be in place if we fortify our families, if we understand what we're responsible for, we need to make sure that that lordship pillar is in place. We know who God is. And we want to walk with God, no matter whether anyone else does or not, we're going to have the right relationship with God. And if we're those whole, unique individuals, and we realize what God expects of us, and we do our part, we'll be like Noah was, that stands out in our generation. You look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in that Mosaic age, and it emphasizes there that 
mankind is to remember God's commandment, His statutes, and His judgments. And they're to be faithful to those things and emphasizing to those Israelite people that they had a responsibility as adults to make sure that they knew who God was. They knew what God's commandments were. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament, there we're told in verse 1 that children are to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. They're to honor their mother and father, which is the first commandment with the promise that their days may be long on the earth. And then it emphasizes, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In all three of those passages, it emphasizes that we have to recognize who the Lord is. That's where we have to start. That, that pillar of lordship has to be in place if we're going to fortify our families. We can't just read some book that man's written and say, you know, if you do these things, you can have a happy marriage. Those are always hollow. They may bring some enlightenment. They may bring some understanding. But they're never going to really bring us what God wants us to have and, unless we put Him in His right place. And that we seek not only Him first, but we seek His kingdom first. In the second place, the second pillar that has to be in place, if we fortify our homes, we have to make sure the leadership pillars firmly placed in our homes. We have to take the lead. Noah was that kind of man, wasn't he? When there was really no one else to encourage him, there was no other man on the face of the earth that he could work with, that he could encourage him, he made up his mind that the Lord was going to be first, he was going to listen to the Lord. And the Lord spoke directly to Noah. And Noah was able to then influence in a leadership way his wife and his children. And even his son's wives. By him being someone who walked with God, he provided such leadership. But he wasn't the only one. You see, though not a lot said about Miss Noah, we don't know her, we would say her first name. But here's what we know about her. She encouraged and helped Noah. She was the only one that could exercise that leadership. And because of that, maybe Shem, Ham, and Japheth's wives responded in a similar fashion to that kind of leadership. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they had all their peers, and many of you young people sitting with folks who encourage you and help you and inspire you. They had no one. There was no peer group. There was no youth group that they could do things with. It was just Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They demonstrated leadership by saying, we're going to follow the leadership of our Father, even though there's no one else that would do so. You're talking about peer pressure. They knew what it was, didn't they? And yet their leadership is obvious. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, we're told in that context that not only were those Israelites to keep the commandments of God, but it's emphasized that they were to teach those things unto their children diligently. 
They were to take that leadership role and they were to make sure that the principles that they knew and they understood and that they made application of in their life was shared in a very real way, a very constant way with their children. It was to be a diligent effort. Not just a casual mentioning of those things, but they were to teach them diligently when they walked in the way and when they sat in their house and when they would lie down and when they would rise up. They were to make application of all those principles, of those statutes and those judgments and those commands in every aspect of their life. When their children followed them about and they asked questions about those things, they would understand those things. That's a pillar that has to be in place if we're going to fortify our families. It's absolutely essential. We can't survive as a family without it. Those leadership roles. We see when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, it begins by saying, children obey your parents in the Lord. We often think of leadership just being the head of the household. But children are the only ones who can obey their parents. And if they understand that that's God's will, and we mention Christ being a young child in Luke chapter 2 this morning, about 12 years old when he was left at the temple, and he was a child who chose to go home with his parents and be subject unto them. An example, showing leadership in doing those things. Children exercise leadership roles by demonstrating to their peers and to their siblings that we are to be obedient to our parents because God said so. It's right. God said it was right. He wanted to do it because God said it was right. And then as parents, in particular as, as fathers, we are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to take the leadership role of making sure those things are, are taught. That they're instilled in the hearts and their lives of our children. The third pillar that has to be in place is love. If we understand that the Lordship pillar is firmly in place in our homes and those leadership roles are occupied in our homes, we have to make sure that the motivation is always right. These are not just commandments that we just have to keep and they're not millstones around our neck that we waddle through life with and they're so burdensome. It's something that we're privileged to do, that we love to do. I mentioned Sister Olive a minute ago. She was physically fatigued, but she obviously loved her husband. She didn't want anyone else taking that responsibility, that role. A great example to me of what that really means. Why did she do that? That nurse, she felt like it was her job. She's being paid for that shift to care for those patients. We see in that family, in that marriage, she took on that responsibility. She accepted that role. She did those things because she loved Him. She meant it. She embodied it. She experienced it. And that's the kind of love that we see God extending to us. And He loved us so much, He gave His only begotten Son. When you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 6 and you see Noah being able to stand against his generation. And the Hebrew chapter 11 passage says that 
Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear to the saving of his house. Why? Because he loved them. He first of all loved God. And because he loved God, he loved his family. He wanted them to have all the benefits of a relationship with God. He was willing to be different than everybody else in his generation, do exactly what God said do. And his leadership was demonstrated in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22. Of all things God commanded Noah, so did he. And he did that because he loved God and he loved his family. And because he demonstrated that, he saved his family. Now among preachers today, we might say, how many people did Noah preacher of righteousness for 120 years. How many souls did he save? In preacher's calculation, it may not sound like much. Eight souls. But that was his family. Those are the ones closest to him. The ones he was most responsible for. And he demonstrated his love. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, between the time he told those adults to remember the statutes and commandments of God, and to teach them diligent unto their children, he said these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou art to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. The motivation has to be there, not just keeping God's commandment, but loving Him and doing it because you loved Him. Not just sharing God's commandments with your children, but sharing those with your children because you love God and you love your children. You see two whole unique individuals in their relationship with God who give life to a relationship take responsibilities for the protection of that relationship, for the strengthening of that relationship. And that pillar of lordship is in place, and that pillar of leadership is in place, and that pillar of love is in place. You get to Ephesians chapter 6. If you remember what we talked about this morning in the scripture reading from Ephesians chapter 5, the love pillar is there, isn't it? That you to love your wife as Christ also loved the church. And the implications are that the wife is to love her husband the way Christ loved the church. And the emphasis is in chapter 6 that we are to interact as mothers and fathers and sons and daughters because we love God and we love each other. The motivation is obvious. We need to make sure that that pillar is in place. There are a lot of homes that can check the boxes of how many times they come to service. But there are a lot of even those homes that don't always practice love compassion, first of all to God and to each other. You see, when you know the motivation of it, and you exemplify that in your practice of it, it inspires others to do likewise. Homes need to be filled with that kind of love, and that pillar needs to be firmly in place. But the part we often leave out is the fourth and final pillar of a godly home. We realize what our responsibilities are, what we're responsible for. We are responsible to leave a legacy. You see, sometimes tragic things happen in life. Things aren't perfect. 
Sometimes there are injuries and sometimes there's death. And what we anticipated being blissful relationship becomes difficult, complicated. But if we understand that we can still leave that legacy of commitment to God and to each other, then we realize we all have a part. When we talk about legacy, you're talking about something that is bequeathed as a gift to those who follow you. And as those who are older in the faith, we get to leave behind, we get to bequeath to the next generation the truths that have been instilled in our hearts and lives. I mentioned to you this morning that my very earliest memories are falling to sleep at night with my mother reading the Scripture. We lived on a farm, and so we worked from before daylight till after dark. We didn't have any electricity or running water in our house, and so we had a kerosene lamp. Mother would light that lamp and read the Scriptures. My very earliest memories of all those Bible stories, I'd fade off to sleep every night with those truths. My mother only had an eighth grade education, and just so you know, my parents divorced when I was eight years old. One of 11 children, eight of us were still at home when they divorced. My parents were not members of the Lord's church. The church in Crossed Arkansas, my aunt was a member, and so they helped this single mom with all these kids, benevolently, out of politeness. My mother loaded up those kids, and we went to Bible study and worship for a few weeks because they'd been kind to us. Then we went back to the denominational church that she was a member of, But in that short period of time, my mother heard the truth. Now she listened differently. The preacher and one of the elders ended up studying with her, and she obeyed the gospel. Not a perfect scenario. But here's what I learned. My father wasn't an active part of my life. I still had a relationship with him and visited him, but... He wasn't an everyday part of my life, and he never obeyed the gospel. When I think about Mark chapter 10, verse 28 and following, where Peter asked a question, Lord, we left all to follow thee. What's in it for us? And the Lord reminded him that no man has left lands or possessions or father or mother, brethren, sisters, sons or daughters, in this life that shall not have restored to them a hundredfold brethren and sisters mothers sons and daughters lands and possessions and in the life to come eternal life you see I didn't always understand that but when things aren't perfect in our immediate families Sometimes we think, well, how can you fortify a family when all the pieces aren't there? Well, he described that to Peter and the other apostles. You see, when you leave certain ones because you are devoted to God, and that causes it not to be the way it ought to be, 
within the family of God, you have that restored a hundredfold. You have those who occupy those roles. I had godly men who were good husbands and fathers in the church of our Lord, who were role models for me, who showed me how I ought to live and what I ought to do a hundredfold in the body of Christ. I think about 2 Peter, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. A less than perfect scenario and yet a powerful reminder to us of how we can fortify families even when all the pieces aren't there. Paul said to the young preacher Timothy, When I call to remembrance thine unfeigned faith, which was first of all in thy grandmother Lois, in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Now the father isn't mentioned. We learn in other places that his father was a Greek, and so the assumption is that he wasn't a member of the church, and he's not mentioned as part of that fortifying of Timothy's faith. And yet we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 and following that the things that Timothy had learned among many witnesses, he was to make sure he held on to those things he'd learned, being assured of who he had learned those from. And then he said, from a child, from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, that's possible only in Christ. Those deficiencies are made up in the body of Christ. In a congregation like this, you have older members who maybe have lost their spouses, and yet they, like Sister Olive, have great influence in our life. They can tell us how we are to treat each other, committed to each other. They echo for us what Genesis chapter 6 echoes, that you can leave a godly legacy. And though there may have been times when Shem, Ham, and Japheth might have wanted their father to be like all the other fathers so they could do all the things don't you know when that old ark began to creak and to lift up from the earth and the fountains were opened up and the rains descended and floods came? Don't you know they were grateful for that legacy, that bequeathed gift of obedient life of Noah? And that same is true in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It emphasized to that generation that when their children ask them, when you get to verse 24 of chapter 6, when your sons and your daughters are to ask you, what meaneth these statues and these judgments that you are to say that we once were bondservants to Pharaoh and God took us by a mighty hand and He brought us out and He placed us in this land flowing with milk and honey and He did wondrous, miraculous things in our presence. And then you emphasize to them, keep His statutes and His judgments. What a gift to bequeath, to say this is who God is. And this is what God expects. We know according to Judges chapter 2 that they practiced that kind of faithfulness all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. But there came a generation that knew not Jehovah nor the great things which he had done. 
Which means somewhere along the way, either those truths were not bequeathed, or when they were given as a gift, they were not used. They were not accepted. They were not treasured like they should have been. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, when you see that this legacy pillar being placed where fathers are to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, when you get down a little further in that context in verse 10, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then he describes to us how we're in this spiritual battle and, and we're standing against the wiles of the devil and we are to make sure that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and we have on that our loins girt about with truth. We have on a breastplate of righteousness. Sometimes we disconnect those passages from each other. We see that takes place in an introductory way and in an application way in our families. My mother instilling those truths into my heart at an early age provided me that opportunity to choose to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There's no other power to be had that we can withstand things in life that we can't really be fortified and built up and protected outside that relationship. If we reflect on what we've discussed today, and if you think about, as was mentioned earlier in our prayer together, that we might take these truths with us and make application in our life. May we be prepared to be those whole, unique, complete individuals, knowing that one day we're going to stand before God and give an answer to the deed done in this body. May we make sure that in our relationships within the home that we're everything we need to be. That we're busy continuing to help each other and support each other. We respond to each other's cries and needs. And even when our relationships get soiled, we go to the effort to make sure that we allow the blood of Christ to cleanse us, to make us pure and whole again. And when things aren't perfect, we trust in He who is perfect. And His perfect provisions that we have a hundredfold provided for us in the body of Christ. And those of us in Christ, look about. And if we have those who are younger who don't have parents to encourage them, thus become their parents in the Lord. If we have those whose spouses no longer can support and encourage them, we support and encourage them. We have those who are aged, whose children don't care about them and don't come and see them, and don't bear their burdens. Let's care about them. Let's see them. Let's help them bear their burdens. And thus, become an acknowledgement of all these pillars being in place, that the Lordship pillar, we know who He is, that we are to obey Him. The leadership pillar that we do our part to make sure that we demonstrate obedience to Him. That our motivation is always love. And that we can bequeath to those who come after us contributions that they can make to the cause of Christ. You see, fortifying families involves more than just the immediate family. 
It involves every member of the family of God. If you're here this afternoon 